What's up, Fish Sauce family? It's Elton and Wilson, and we're back with a fresh episode of Fish Sauce. Join us on a journey into the minds of successful founders, operators, and investors. As we learn about their secret sauce, we hope you find yours too. In this week's episode, we got to interview one of our childhood idols, Bill Wang. You might recognize his name from YouTube hits such as Yellow Fever and Asian Bachelorette, as Phil has been a creator of many popular films and shorts. Wang Fu Productions now has over 3 million subscribers on YouTube. Congrats, Phil, on all the amazing success. In this episode, you hear from Phil and his journey to create the media company Wang Fu Productions founded in 2006 during the rise of YouTube. Phil capitalized on the growth of the platform to grow his media empire as well. We've learned from his experience that being at the right place at the right time can pay out dividends in a company's success and understanding the surrounding trends and applying your business towards that is crucial. We got introduced to Phil through Andy Chen from Kleiner Perkins. Andy actually went to college with Phil and once he heard about fish sauce his mission, he quickly brought up Phil's name. We're super grateful that Fish Sauce Community keeps growing through referrals. What's Phil's secret sauce? Stay tuned to find out. Hey Phil, welcome to Fish Sauce. Elton and I are super excited to have you today. Thanks for having me. This is really cool. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, no, we're honored to be here. <laughs> Definitely honored. Yeah, Elton and I watched your videos since high school. Yellow Fever. Oh, um, we really want to get started by hearing, you know, how did it this idea come about? Like, what's the <laughs> early beginnings? How did you guys found the company? Yeah. And where is it going today? I mean, oh man, like, it's, it's going back pretty far. Like, this is going to date us really bad, but, you know, we were making videos before YouTube existed. Wow, okay, wow. so we were in college. I went to UC San Diego. And back then, you know, we... I had a little video camera and we made like little sketches and, and lip sync videos for lack of, you know, better words. And we wanted to share them with people. And the only way to do that was thankfully we had a T1 connection. You know, high speed internet was only at colleges at this time too. So that's mm -hmm. even dating me even further. It started off with like us just sharing a link. We got like a server and, you know, people were just sharing our videos by actually like putting a link in their away message on like their aim, whatever. Oh or, yeah, or I remember aim. <laughs> yeah. Really far back. Yeah, that's really far back. You know, so as the years went on, we graduated and, and YouTube, you know, came around. Um, we started using YouTube because actually more as just a tool, it was free bandwidth. I think our last year of college when we had a website, we got this like $1,000 bill for bandwidth because of yellow fever. To a college kid, like $1,000 is like That's a ton of money, right? Yeah, yeah. So we were freaking out. So yeah, YouTube at the beginning was just a tool. But then we started seeing, you know, communities form around certain channels. And we already had a fan base that was kind of coming in from, you know, our website. And we're like, I think we should probably, you know, start to push our YouTube channel more. Right after college, we tour like 20 different colleges. We had student organizations bring us out to screen one of our movies that we made. We made a student film and we told people on our website, hey, we the only way you're gonna see it is if you bring us out. And so coming out of college, when you're, you know, you can, you guys can remember, it's like, you're like, what are we doing with our lives? What are we gonna do? What's the plan? Some of us are still like that. Yeah, some of us, yeah. <laughs> we went around the country and we saw like, wow, there's, people that we're in the middle of Pennsylvania, we're in the middle of Virginia, we're in the corner of Georgia and people are coming out to watch our stuff. This is, this is something special. We should probably keep this going. So just long story long, we just found ways to just keep Wong Fu going, whether that was in the beginning, we were doing like wedding videos and local commercials. Eventually we started doing merchandise and just wearing our own stuff and making a store. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was really cool to see how the 
industry evolved around us as we were trying to just keep our heads afloat, you know? Fast forward to now, you know, there's tons of companies and there's VCs that, you know, are buying up media companies and there's Facebook pages that like are being funded. It's like ridiculous, like what is going on, right? But like when we first started, it's like no one no one took YouTube channels seriously, so. Do you mind describing how you found your co-founders for Wang Fu? Yeah, yeah, Wang Fu started with uh, Wes and Ted, Wesley Chan and Ted Fu, and I went into college undeclared. I had no idea what I wanted to do, and uh, I think I, I tried econ. I thought I was going to go down econ for like a little bit because I was like, oh, business, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I found out I'm terrible at math. I didn't find out. I always knew I was terrible at math. But I was already like making videos with my sweet mates for fun, and you know, people were already kind of downloading them. And then one of my friends who was an art major said, hey, you should just take some classes and make this your major, and then you could get credit for it. UCSD is not a film school, it's not art school, it's bioengineering, biotech, whatever. We were like literally in the armpit of the campus. There was like <laughs> 50 people in the majors, super small. They didn't teach us very much. It was more like theory, nothing technical. In those classes, that's where I met Wes and Ted. And it's, they were very small classes. And I remember seeing their stuff and just thinking, wow, like at that point, I had never met other people kind of like me, other Asian people that had the skill and that had like the interest. I guess I had my sweet mates and we made like those funny lip syncs, but like they were doing bioengineering, they were doing, you know, math, they were doing all this other stuff. Working with them was like really opened my world to being able to create more. And then we just, we just started becoming more motivated to just make more stuff. And we had similar tastes, we had similar like backgrounds and we're like, let's, let's keep this going. And somehow we kept it going and we moved to LA after we graduated. And definitely like we all took a leap of faith Mm -hmm. on, on what this was. So in the beginning when you're working on something passionate or a passion project, it's starts to be just, you know, a little bit of your time and you're not sure where it's going to go, right? right? But at some point it starts taking off and you've all taken that leap of faith right. and you start to become a company. Mm-hmm. And when your company, do you have mission or values or, or vision? Oh vision? man, uh, wow, this is like an interview. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like podcast. It is, yeah, it is, actually it is an interview. Yeah, like, yeah. Do I, do I, do I, am, yeah. I, am I going out for a job? <laughs> I guess I feel like... Uh, I'll, I'll be to- totally honest. When we first started, there was nothing like that grand about what we were trying to do. I think nowadays, if you if you start a, a podcast, if you start a YouTube channel, whatever, you see examples of how you could turn this into something mm-hmm. successful, right? But at that time, like really try to bring yourself back to that time. YouTube was nothing. Even online video, those two words itself was was kind of like weird. What you can watch videos online, you know, the like, idea of being a creator was not existent. Right. The idea of being a self self employed creator, like oh, you make videos. Like people had no like my friends when I after I graduated, they had no idea what I was doing, and my parents too. We can get into that later. So at the beginning, there was zero expectation, and I think that actually helped us because it made us never feel like we were necessarily failing either because there was nothing to to compare ourselves to. Like people always ask, you know, oh, I feel you're a filmmaker, like who are your inspirations or who's your mentor? This is not in any arrogant way, but like I don't really feel like I had any inspirations because yes, there's like Justin Lin who made Better Luck Tomorrow and that was inspiring to see an Asian filmmaker in Asian film. But like he went down a completely different path than we did. I would never be able to like retrace his steps, right? And so for us, we just wanted to keep making stuff. And we knew that there were fans and we're like, let's just try to make more things for them. And even like the Asian stuff, you know, like when people say, oh, you guys are inspirations for Asians or you guys are role models, that was never our primary goal either. There's some beauty in that too, is that we just saw ourselves as just normal people. We never really saw ourselves as like, oh, we're Asian and we have like this plight and we gotta try to represent like, but see, yeah, like, we so were I, just I, talking yeah, about I it see today. you guys like nodding yeah. along and I think that they're, that that's necessary, but at the same time, like, that's how, how pure I, our stories are in terms of, I don't see anything wrong with myself in America. I see myself as I belong here. So my story, just because it has an Asian person or my, my short, just because an Asian person, why does that, why does that have to, 
devalue it? Or why does that have to be something that we should avoid, right? Um, when we made stuff that had me or my friends that were Asian, we're just like, yeah, this is just us. I don't have to feel bad about this, right? <laughs> but, you know, as we continue, obviously, you know, we've grown up a lot and we've had met a lot of people with different experiences. You do start to see these missions start to form. We were already doing it without even knowing it. So like the mission of we need more Asian American representation we were actually like losing out on certain opportunities or people were like not giving us a chance because we were Asian and we're like, oh my God, this is real. Like I didn't really think about that. So now we're like, okay, we need to kind of push push that agenda and push for that more. And then not just in terms of what we make, but then also we know that as a company, a lot of younger kids are looking up to us too as like, hey, they're the example of, you know, you can make something in this space. So like, okay, I guess we better be encouraging to the next generation to work hard, to be creative. It doesn't just have to be, you know, the standard lawyer, business, doctor, whatever, which is fine if you do, but like there's other options, right? And we all grew up not knowing that there were those options. I didn't grow up knowing that there was those options, right? That's part of our mission too. Like it, 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 all, all these things kind of came into place very naturally and organically where we're like, oh, like we're already doing it. We should probably just like lean into that. And, and they're good messages, so let's try to like help those missions out. Was there a specific example where you remembered not being able to advance forward even oh, yeah, further totally. because, because of being Asian? Yeah. In 2008, so this was before YouTube, anyone in the mainstream industry uh-huh. understood the power of YouTube and the power of just social media, whatever. We were trying to make a movie. Like we were two years out of college and we're like, hey, you know, we've, we have a fan base. We already made a student film and like people came out to watch. People bought the DVD on our website. <laughs> we had the producer who was Asian say, hey, let me help you out. Like I've, I've done some other things. Let's go try to make a movie. And we did a very traditional, we, we wrote a script and we knocked on doors and we took meetings and we even went to like the Cannes Film Festival I can't believe we did this, but like we went to the film festival to like take meetings with the film markets and things like that. Way above, I think, our heads on, on any of that. And we literally had people just tell us, you guys can't have Asian leads. You're not going to make any money. You're not going to have, we can't do this. It's bad business. Mm-hmm. When we realized that no one was really latching on to, you know, our idea or, or what we were trying to do, we kind of felt like, okay, I don't think Hollywood is going to be our path. We can't rely on this. And that's actually when we started really taking YouTube seriously. We're like, okay, you know what, fuck that, all right? Like, we know we have fans. We know we have a community here. We know that there's other Asian YouTubers that are kicking ass. Let's start to like build a community here and let's show them that this is the future, that this is where we're at. So we really planted our flag around like 2008, 2009 to be like, okay, this is where we want to grow our company. And now you look like like the entire industry has gone that way, you know? Mm -hmm. So really glad that, you know, we weren't, trying to change for Hollywood to be like, okay, well, what do you guys want? We, we just want to make a movie. We're just like, all right, you guys are dumb. So that was, that, that's the one that I, all, that I always remember. And luckily, I think things have changed a lot in the, in the last, like, yeah, like nine, ten years. There We have shows that are on TV. We have shows that are on Netflix or whatever that have Asians. But I think there's still a long way to go. I think people still see Asians in media as, oh, I guess that worked. That must have been like a fluke. Oh, Master of None, like people are okay seeing brown people. That must be a fluke. We need to show them that it's not a food. Like people like representation, people like diverse casts and, and stories, you know. So I think we're still fighting that fight, to be honest. Um, because I, I've been out to pitch meetings even just this year where it's like an Asian character and they just they don't get it. They just don't get it. And I'm like still educating people, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious on the topic of change over the years, how has Wong Fu Productions changed? Whether it's from the yeah. content side, 
when we're your audience in 2006, you yeah. know, our lives have changed and our you know, life events have changed. Have you adapted their content or has technology changed industry? Oh man, there's so much, so much has changed in the last 10 years that we've been doing this and more like, first of all, I've gotten 10 years older. <laughs> I'm in my, I'm in my, yeah, 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 I'm in my, I'm in my early thirties now. And, and obviously like the type of stories or the type of message or angles or perspectives have evolved. Perfect example is like, you know, we just released this mini series on our website or on our channel called Just Another Nice Guy. Yeah, we were watching which that was before. Cool, no, thanks, <laughs> yeah. And that's actually a perfect example of like, of evolution where in 2007 when I was early 20s, just out of college, like I, I made Just a Nice Guy and it was this idea, like it was my perspective of like dating at the time and and now 10 years later, I'm like, I need to update this because I don't feel that same way anymore. Like the message needs to needs to change because if that's out there, I, I, I don't feel that represents really what I feel now. So we make a lot of stuff that's about like love and relationships. And I do think that at least for my, my personal stuff, there's there's a definitely like a maturity or, or a deeper level that some of the stories have gone. At the same time, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for our, our channel because for example, you guys watched this in high school and now you guys are 10 years older and you guys are expecting a content for your guys' age, right? But we're still getting new fans that are your high school selves, mm-hmm. right? So we still have to be Wong Fu for that generation. At the same time, we have matured and we've grown up, right? So we do kind of go back and forth. This one's going to be more for like more mature audiences. This one's satisfying the high school, college age how do you stories. balance that? Are, are you going to start having videos of families <laughs> and grandparents and people growing old? I think it's it's coming. I think there's another series that I'm actually working on right now that is definitely like not like anything that we've done on the channel before where it's about being in your 30s, worrying about like marriage, divorce, even politics, things that like honestly in, in high school and college, you know, you don't really care about. You just worry about, do I get the girl? Does the girl like me? You know, how, you know, how do I get a date? I, I still see the value in making that because I, I, I think that social media, dating apps, like there's so much to the say. Whole scene. Yeah, there's so much to say about being in high school, college, post-grad, dating, whatever. For me, like I also know that I want to tell other stories and not, not and that's another thing too. It's like, I don't think like it should just be my stories either. I think we're getting to a point where I want to start working with other writers or other actors and be like, what do you guys want to do? Because at, at the end of the day, like I think the power of Wang Fu is that it doesn't have to just be me and my stories, right? Or, or me, Wes and Ted or whatever. Like I think we've been around long enough that I think Wang Fu is just as a brand or as a voice or as a platform even can help other artists tell their stories. And you know we we don't have every story ever in in the world, right? And I, and we're not I'm not the best writer in the world either. Maybe there's someone out there that can do something really amazing. So I want to start to help new people, younger people of the next generation through Wang Fu. Also, I'm actually curious. How do you think of these stories? I know you were mentioning by personal experience mm-hmm. and things like that. Do right. you, do you sit and observe people as well? Like where where is the creation coming from? That's a great question because I feel like a lot of people are, are always like. Or there you, every so often I'll see a comment that's like, man, you guys just talk about love all the time. It's so much love. Like, <laughs> it's like, gosh, just get over it. I'm like, but then to me, like, I'm like, there's so many intricacies of relationships and love that you can never make enough stuff. There's always different, you know, stories to tell and different types of relationships. So, yes, I definitely think that I overanalyze maybe more than like a normal person. And I definitely do observe and I look for stories or like I, I was paying my meter downstairs and like I just overheard this woman on like on the phone and she seemed like really exasperated about something I'm like oh my like, what was going on there when I'm eating late at night by myself or something at like a restaurant I see like a, a busboy I'm like oh what's what's his story like I'm always very curious 
about what other people are going through. And I might over-romanticize it too, like over-dramatize it, I'll dramatize it. Where does this come from? Is it your personal know. imagination? I, Did you grow up reading a lot of books, watching TVs? I read a lot more when I was younger. I don't read any now, which is actually terrible for, I think, like a filmmaker, right? I, I definitely need to read more. When I was younger, I, I definitely cared a lot about like love and relationships. And did you date a lot? I, I didn't. Maybe that's where it came from. Like, <laughs> I actually think that like love is one of the emotions that everyone can like relate to the most and also that people actually don't like to talk about the most, which is really strange. At the end of the day, everyone is just trying to like find love and eat. That's like all people really want. Or you want companionship of some sort, or that connection. Friendship. I think the reason why maybe people like our stuff is that I'm not afraid to be very vulnerable and like show that side of me. And so I think when people watch it, they're like, that's how I feel, and but I would never say it. Or like, that's what I've been thinking and I've n and no one's ever been able to verbalize it or contextualize it before. So, but it's stuff that, it's not anything, I'm not reinventing the wheel. Like everyone breaks up, everyone likes someone, everyone falls in love. I just, I'm just really grateful that somehow the way that I write or the way that I come up with stories is, is just very relatable and raw. At the end of the day, I, I don't think what I do is that special. I think that's what's really funny. Like I just think people break up, so I'm gonna write about it. You know? like, <laughs> I've been through that. You know, so. you know what's so cool when you were talking about kind of analyzing people's stories and things like that? We could see you think and storytelling kind of write out a story right off the bat, which is so awesome. fascinating. Because <laughs> our, I don't think my mind works like that. Right, right. Off. And then communicating emotions is actually a very tough thing. Mm -hmm. So I think you do it very well where mm. people can actually relate to that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so. I, I don't know where that... I mean, maybe my dad, I, I think like very early on, like encouraged me to like write stuff and I don't know where maybe where that came from. Let's talk a little about that upbringing. You talk, mentioned your dad, you mentioned your early upbringing. Let's yeah. rewind it all the way back. Mm -hmm. Where were you born? How have your upbringing instilled those values in you today or in Wong Fu Productions today? I'm Chinese American. My parents are, you know, they immigrated from Taiwan. I was born in Northern California. Where? Oh, so I grew up in Walnut Creek. Oh, uh, okay. So That's East Bay, like nice, really, yeah, right? really close to, it's, it's, it's become really nice. Now. I mean, it's, all, it's always been a good spot, but like now it's like famous because like Steph Curry had a house there and stuff like that, like the Warriors. Everything's like, new. Yeah. We had a very, you know, modest upbringing. I, don't, I wouldn't say that I was like not fortunate, you know, it was very upper middle class and my parents worked really hard. They were like exchange students in like Minnesota and they somehow found their way to California. One older sister, only one grade older. She's married, has three kids. We, have, we live very different lives. I, I grew up, I think, very Asian or very Chinese. Just all the immigrant stuff that everyone can relate to, the frugality and, you know, or cheapness or whatever. And, you know, not getting to have like a lot of like nice things, you know, parents always like, you know, wanting to save. And then obviously turning school. Turning off the AC, turning off yeah, the Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, wrapping everything with saran wrap, you know. like not I remember out the plastic right, and things. Right, right. <laughs> I remember like when the first time we went to like go see snow, like my parents just put plastic bags over like my shoes and like rubber band them, you know, like instead of buying snowshoes. I don't, I'm not, I, but I don't see that as like, oh, we were so poor. I think they were just like, they just thought just that like, smart. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Like they were just being creative. Yeah. They emphasized schoolwork. They emphasized academics. I did a lot of extracurricular. My mom was an amazing mom. She worked full time and still found a way to get us to piano, kumon, piano theory, choir, French. We did like a bunch of stuff growing up. Very artistic. Yeah. yeah, but the funny thing is, I think that's the funny thing about Asian people is they want you to do all this artistic stuff, but just for the college application. Like once you're done with high school, like stop that. Unless you're gonna be a prodigy, yeah, do all this music, do all this art, do all this, but then, but then stop. <laughs> what if I actually like end up liking it? You mixed know? messages. Right, here, huh? super mixed messages. You just grew up like very focused on, you know, being well-rounded, I guess. And the, the city like that I grew up also like was, it was very white and like my school is maybe like 15% Asian. So like, I remember, in high school, starting to hang out with more Asian people because 
we just had more similar interests. I remember like before high school, like my friends were just very whatever. I didn't, I didn't like really care. But then they started to like talk more about parties or more about like football and wrestling. And I'm like, oh, like what about the test guys? <laughs> like, uh, so so in my school there was like a, there was a part of like of the school like the cafeteria. People called it like Chinatown. Oh. And at the time I didn't think that was racist. I was like, yeah, a lot of Asians people <laughs> do eat there. Like I kind of found like a little bit of pride in it. Like yeah, like this is our spot. So like I started hanging out with like you know more more Asian people. And then I think. Just very subconsciously, like, that just probably affected my type of humor, you know, my tastes and values and things like that even more. So, I don't know. Did, Were did you I shocked when you went to UCSD? I do remember thinking, like, oh, my gosh, there's so many pretty, like, <laughs> so many more pretty people. Like, outside, you know, I think just when you, like, leave high school, like, your high school bubble and you just be like, oh, my gosh, there's, like, just a lot more people in this world. It was more like that. Mm-hmm. Not, like, necessarily, like, there's more Asians. Although I do remember I had a friend like, that I grew up with and then midway through our childhood, he moved to, like, Fullerton. And then every summer, like, we would go visit them. And I remember, like, going through his yearbook and thinking, like, oh, my God, there's so many Asians here. That's how we grew up. One That's crazy. Like 80, 80% Asian. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I should ask you guys or you guys should have like your own thing of like of when you guys had culture shock of like wait the world isn't asian like because you grew up like streets are all asian businesses your school is 80 percent you guys i don't like that's that's crazy to me and then we went to usc which was complete opposite that was right right when we went on tour it was a really eye-opening experience because we got to see like rural america we got to see like all types of areas and and i realized that there's a lot of asian americans that are the only asians at their school or one of ten and then California, like California Asians are definitely a different breed. You know, we are very fortunate to have never truly felt like out of place. Isolated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so... Is that, that a good or bad thing, right? Like, it, It's good in that it, it, I feel like it, it, it empowers us a little bit to like not feel so... Like we have a support group of other Asians, right? Uh, but at the same time, it does put on, I think, like a, a filter on our eyes that we don't really actually know what America is like. We, we think that we're a lot more safe. People are a lot more open-minded than I think a lot of America you know, is, you know, when we went on tour, it was really good to see that and realize that it's part of our mission to be like, you know, we're, we're representing for Asians. People are watching us that are looking up to us that because they don't have any other Asian friends, they don't see themselves on TV. They don't see themselves at even school. Going back to when you were deciding to pursue film and Wong Fu Productions Mm -hmm. full time, what do your parents think? That you didn't pursue this <laughs> traditional career path that most parents want us to pursue. I had to like lie a little bit in the beginning when I told them that I was going to like, so the major I was in was visual arts. And I just basically had to tell them, hey, like worst comes to worst, like art and entertainment is still business. So worst comes to worst, I can still, I will still find a desk job somewhere. I'm essentially going into like a business. I'm going into an industry. And I think they bought that for a little bit. But for the first few years that we were after graduating and we were out there doing it, my dad was still always telling me, hey, just go be a lawyer. You should just go be a lawyer. Is that what you would have done? No, if you it did wasn't. Not? My dad My dad just thinks that being a lawyer is the best job in the world because he's like, all you have to do is read. And you get paid so much money, but all you have to do is read. I think he's thinking like corporate or tax mm-hmm. lawyer. And I'm like, dad, no, being a lawyer is really hard. <laughs> like, it's not easy. But he just, I, obviously like immigrant parents, they just want you to be secure and safe because they sacrifice so much to come here it'd be a waste for them. Like they wanted us to have a better life, right? So not not work as hard for stability. So I had to like for a long time just kind of push back and be like, no, like we're, we're doing okay. Like I, I wasn't taking any money from them. I was like, we're earning a living at the very least, you know? And they were just really, really, really worried. And I think it wasn't until like, you know, we got into like the Chinese newspaper or we had an event and then they came out and saw the kids come out and they're like, oh, this is something. Okay, I guess there's something here. So now it's now it's flipped to where 
they like watch the videos and like my dad even like is like, hey, how come that one didn't get as many views? Like you know like they're and like problem solving. Yeah, you. yeah, and they'll and they'll like they'll say like, hey, there's a there's a mean comment. What are you sh- are you gonna are you gonna say something like that? You just don't understand. Like just <laughs> just let it go. Kind of similar where oh. we're creating a podcast, but the difference is yeah. that we're doing it as a side hustle, mm-hmm. right? So it's not as much of a risk. Right. And our parents hear about it and they're like, does it make money? Yeah. And like on day one, we're not even thinking about revenue, yeah. right? The the concept of just doing something because you just want to is that doesn't make sense to them. And yeah, and sure. I don't blame them because they didn't that's honestly a luxury that they have given to us by their sacrifice and them coming here that we get to grow up just thinking, what do we want to do? And that's what that's what generations of like white people have had, you know, like and like other communities have had where they grow up thinking like, oh, I can do whatever I want, right? We are literally the generation like zero. We're the first to, that can start to think a little bit outside of what our parents have expected or wanted to build for us, you know? So there's a disconnect. Like, I, I'm sure they're just like, wait, what's the point then? The point is that it gives me joy. Why do you need joy? <laughs> you know? For those who are considering pursuing a creative role or entertainment where they want to do short films or, you know, Instagram videos because that's a new industry mm-hmm. or whatever it is, what would you say to them where they don't want to do their traditional path and want to pursue entertainment? Oh, I mean, obviously every case is different. And I would definitely say, like, be very smart about what choices you're making. Um, I, I'm not going to, you know, be on here and be like, hey, everyone, just quit your job. I think what you guys are doing is great. I think this is a perfect example of balancing the pressure of, you know, what your family is giving you, but also and also what you've built and, and also finding a hobby. And maybe the hobby can turn into something else. That is the smartest way to go about it. The biggest thing I would tell people is that it's not glamorous. It's a lot of work. So... Do things for the right reasons. Like if you're doing things for the likes, if you're doing things because you think you're going to get famous, sure, that can be. A, there's a path for that. But at the end of the day, when you're pursuing something that is as risky as your creative hobby or a new idea, you're not going to get paid in the beginning. And so you have to really think, do I love this enough that I would be doing this anyways? I just love it so much. I would just be recording a podcast just for fun because I don't care about the money. If the money comes, great. You know, and if there's a business plan that starts to form, great. Like purity, I think, is, is, is most important in terms of um, having a pure mission and motives for going into anything. So for all those people out there, yeah, just really think about like why you want to do what you want to do because it's going to be really difficult. And when, it's, when you find yourself in that time of, of questioning yourself, like why, why did I quit my job or why did I do this, you better really love what you're doing, otherwise you're gonna you're gonna fall back to what you're doing. You're gonna hate your, yourself. Yeah. How did you pick the name Wang Fu? And <laughs> the spelling of the name is a little bit different too, right? Right. So there's, I really wish that there was like some amazing story. Like my grandpa was from a village, and this was their martial arts teacher. But <laughs> unfortunately, it was a nickname that I had, and the nickname was from a screen name that I had, and the screen name was my very first screen name ever which was on AIM. Like, I was in seventh grade. Everyone was making screen names. Everyone was doing, like, AZN something, whatever. And I was like, okay, well, like, I have to do something Asian in my screen name. In seventh grade, I didn't understand the difference between Wong and Wang. Like, W-O-N-G, W-A-N-G. I just didn't know that. So I always was wondering, wait, why is our last name Wang when you pronounce it Wong? I was like, okay, in my screen name, I'm going to make it phonetically correct, not pinging correct or whatever. So I'm going to make it Wong. And then I was like, ooh, Wang Fu sounds like Kung Fu, you know? So, like, that's my Asian thing. So that's why I spell wrong, and that's why it's asian And then it just be- it became, like, part of my identity, like, in school, and-, and now we're stuck with it. So in high school, like, I would... English projects, if I did a video project, I would say, oh, this is a Wang Fu production. Oh. And so that's how it started. So when I went to college, I just kept putting that name. It was never a choice of, like, I'm going to be a channel, and it's going to be Wang Fu Productions. I wish. Everyone out there, imagine your first screen name and making it 
a production company based off that screen. Yeah. I have and a people, general question. Yeah. Since you have so much experience making videos and so many fun uh, and interesting scenarios that you run into, are there any uh, surprising or f- favorite moments of your career so far? I think one of the coolest things is when people that I look up to watch our stuff too. For example, when like Jeremy Lin like reached out to us, I was like, what? Like you're a fan of me? No way, you know? Or or like Lee Home, like when Lee, Wong Lee oh, Home yeah, reached out yeah. to us and he's like, yeah, I've been watching for a long time. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? You're like a huge pop star, you know, like how are you, how do you know? <laughs> There's so many great experiences of, of doing what we're doing. And it is a, a ton of work, but at the end of the day, like every, every day is different, you know? And, and I think that's one of the best feelings that we're, we're always able to create. So that's that's a great feeling. And then for our last question, we all always ask our guests, what's your secret sauce? Both literally and figuratively. <sighs> My secret sauce. What makes Philip unique? Well, I love McDonald's sweet and sour sauce. And it's like... I, I love like, it too, actually. I feel like... I, I hate... Say, or like, it sucks that it has to be the sweet and sour one because it's like, of course, the Asian likes the sweet and sour <laughs> one. But that, really, that one really is the best. My secret sauce is... This is a really strange question. I've never had to answer this before. But if I had to... Think of one. I think it's kind of what we said before. Is like I, I really like to look for all types of emotions in every situation. I like to like empathize with people. I like to be very honest with my feelings too. And I'm a very emotional person. I think I've got a better handle on it since my like emo like high school days. But I like to like feel if that makes sense. I'm okay admitting that I like a good cry. You know, like sometimes. And I think a lot of people won't admit that. So maybe me just admitting that is actually part of the sauce. I enjoy being vulnerable. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fish Sauce. If you like what you heard, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and sign up for our newsletter for the latest updates and special surprises. Also, treat yourself and a friend to a Fish Sauce t-shirt from our swag store, fishsaucepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you rocking on the streets. If our mission resonates with you, please leave a review on iTunes. And don't forget to share with your friends so we can welcome them into our Fish Sauce family. And lastly, big shout out to our awesome editor, Christian Edwards, for making us sound better than we actually are in each episode of Fish Sauce. What's What's your your secret secret sauce? sauce?